Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song Uh, Here we are on Radical Australia Now we will not speak ill of the dead but we will speak ill of the living. No point denigrating the dead because they can't talk back. Andy, are you are you the empress who's been gender reassigned or are you just our little Andy? I'm just our little Andy. What are you doing here? I don't know. I'm... You just turned up, <laughs> did you? Yeah, I was yeah. asked to come up. So. You asked to get there. Well, here I am. Well, thank you, Andy. Look, no without worries. you there wouldn't be a show. You realise that because I'm technically incompetent. <laughs> Did I ever tell the story what happened 21 years ago? No, I don't think so. I was sitting in the studio and things were going wrong, so I went around. This is the first time I ever touched a button. I touched the button. What do you think happened? I don't know. The station went off air. Oh, no. And since then I've been banned from coming on your side of the table. That's why I'm here. All right, look, we've got another guest today, another person to talk to, a young one. And she's so young, she brought in her security detail. <laughs> I think it's her crew. I think this is what the famous have. They have a crew and they sit next to them and keep an eye on the interviewer. Now, I can assure you she's totally safe from rude questions because this is uh, Radical Australia. We're here to talk about the guest where you and I and security are in a little rowboat. Kia, you know that? Uh, yes. yes. And I'm paddling, but not like Olympic paddlers. Really slowly. No, I just got one paddle. And as I talk to you, we push one paddle and we go down one pathway of your life and then we push another paddle if I get bored. All right? (laughs) So our guest, our guest, and I'll stuff this up. I always stuff the guest's name up. Why don't we just have Smiths and Browns and Whites, eh? Yeah, I don't know. You don't know the do I. All right. We have Kia... Dana Stein. Close. Dana Stein. Dana Stein. Stein. I keep thinking of beer. <laughs> That's why I keep saying Stein. Stein. Now, we only ask you two questions. It's very easy. The first question takes 15 seconds to answer, and the second question takes 54 minutes to answer. Okay. There's no music. Do you play any musical instruments? Yeah, I do. What I'm do in play? a band with did my you, security, actually. Did you bring any musical instruments? No. Well, there's no music then. Sorry. <laughs> there's no music, no ads, nothing. Just you and me, security, and Andy. He'll jump the desk if I'm rude. <laughs> All right. The first question, what year were you born? Just to orientate listeners. Mm-hmm. 1990. Excuse me, what was that again? I was born in 1990. <laughs> we have another youngster in the studio. I can't believe this. 1990. Yeah. I mean, that was just yesterday. Well. That was the end of last century. For me, it feels like a long time ago. I mean, I was born in the middle of last century. <laughs> 1990. 
And that's not 1990. You're not even 30. No. <laughs> that's extraordinary. And you've got a story to tell. I guess so. You can't nod on radio. You know that, kid. <laughs> Nobody's watching. <laughs> They're only listening. All right. What's the earliest memory you have? What's the first thing you remember of being on planet Earth? And don't tell me it's the love you have for your security guard. Um, no. I guess, let me think. The first one I can think of at the moment would be um, cheating with my grandmother when we were playing Snakes and Ladders and I'd roll the dice and always, like, skip a couple Which extra means? spots along the board. You were cheating. How <laughs> yeah. old were you? Probably four at the mm. time. Do you think, look, I'm a grandparent and we know these things. You weren't cheating. She was letting you win. Do you realise that? No, because she pulled me up on it. She pulled you up on yeah, it? Yeah, she was well, really she had annoying. morals, not like me. <laughs> she had morals. Yeah. She pulled you. What did she say to you? Oh, I remember her, like, going back the pieces that yeah, I yeah, tried yeah. to cheat. So. Uh-huh. so why were you cheating at that age? Because I wanted to win. You wanted to win. You had that drive. <laughs> All right. I assume it being born in 1990, your parents are still alive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, both of them. Both of them. So we can't say anything rude about them, can we? No, not really. No, come on, come on. I feel like they're not listening, so not um, listening, we might get away with it. Yeah, but this is this this is uh, live, and it's also a podcast, mm. and it's also on the net, so <laughs> you won't get away with it. Um, so, you sure you don't remember anything before you were four? Because that's a bit bit old to remember something. Mm, mm. Maybe, but nothing that really comes to mind at the moment. Nothing comes to mind. So, where were you born? What city? Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. Here in little old Melbourne. Yep. Ah. And uh, what type of uh, activities was your mum involved in? When I was young, Mm. um, we did a lot of travelling. Travelling. Mostly around Australia. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I guess that's all she was really into that I can remember. Travelling. A lot of music. Mm -hmm. Travelling. Travelling. A lot of John Lennon. Mm -hmm. What did Dad think about all this? Uh, Well, Dad lives in Queensland, Mm -hmm. so... He, he was, wasn't travelling. He wasn't travelling. No. He was doing business stuff. Business stuff. Oh, that's yeah. nice to know. <laughs> a dysfunctional family. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. So, so what did you travel in as a little girl? What, what, what type of vehicle? Was it a little camper van or? Um, no, we were flying around a lot. Flying around. Yeah. Was your mum working yeah. or something? Yeah, but she's self-employed, so mm-hmm. she'd take a lot of time off when I was young and Mm-hmm. Did a lot of trips to like northern Queensland and Alice. And... Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, any brothers and sisters at that stage? Yeah. Oh, um, from my dad, I have two sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. But they weren't mm-hmm. with you when you were doing the travelling? No, no. And your mum? Did she have any other children? No. No. So it's quite, a, quite an intimate relationship, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's almost idyllic. Yeah, pretty strangling at times, I feel. Strangling? <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're a little, little person, you Globe trotting around Australia on a plane, mm. not in a camper van like no. the rest of us, you know. <laughs> Just mm. flying to Alice, flying to Cairns. Yeah. Is there any, any, any what did you think of all this? Mm. When I was young, it didn't really impress me that much, to be honest, because I was spending a lot of time in Queensland and a lot of time, like in Queensland with my dad and a mm-hmm. lot of time in Melbourne. So it was just kind of felt pretty normal. normal. Um, and it wasn't until I was older Mm-hmm. that I kind of reflected back and was like, wow. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, different people, different yeah. cultures. What did you think of um, the Alice 
you got any memories of the Alice when you were small? How old would you have been when you first went to the Alice? Um, would have been around 10. Yeah? Yeah. Which would have been the year 2000. So, yeah. So what, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was incredible. Uh, I remember uh, feeling pretty sad that you could climb it, even though there were signs everywhere mm. saying that the Indigenous people of that land didn't want you to climb it, but did you were still you, able to. Did you climb it? Mum wanted to, but mm. I <laughs> remember distinctly not wanting to. As a 10-year-old, mm. saying you didn't want to because you, you understood. Yeah. Had you um, obviously been to school or you were taught at home? No, at school. School, school. So where did you start school? I started at Camwell Primary School. Here in Melbourne? Yes. Mm-hmm. And did you do preschool? Mm, yeah, I did. Where was I that? I did at Kerry. Kerry. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Private preschool. Yeah, right? private preschool. Mm, well, Campbell com- Primary School isn't private school, is it? No, it's public. No, public, yeah. Um, I'm not making any judgment. I'm just, just wondering why you, why you went from Kerry to... Yeah. Because usually when you start off in a private school, you continue in private school. Yeah, so I kind of went to and from private to public just mm. because of family politics. and Family politics? Yeah, I guess dad and mum and money. money. <laughs> and Yeah. Family just... politics. Mm. There's no politics in families, is there? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course not. No, no, that's right. So how did you cope? Being pulled out of school and going on these trips and then coming back, did it affect the friendships you were able to develop in primary school? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think it strengthened my ability to make friends pretty quickly. Um, I mean, your uh, ability to adapt. Yeah. 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 Uh, so much that now I feel like that is probably a pretty big part of my life and I do really enjoy kind of living in different places and experiencing new things. and. Mm-hmm. So there's anything that little Kia excelled at at primary school, apart from cheating. <laughs> I was a really good cheater. Uh, in primary school, not really. No? No. Any no. teachers had an impact on you? Um, in primary school yeah. specifically? Yeah. Oh, no, not really, hey. No. like no. You just drifted I was just through. a tomboy. And a tomboy. Just, what does that mean? What, what just... Liked climbing trees and mm-hmm. running around a lot. Mm, so did you get involved in the sports at primary school? Not really. Not I just really. was really into climbing trees climbing and trees. having fantasy games. Did you break anything? Limbs? Yeah. No. Never. I know. You are so lucky. I broke an arm twice. Obviously, you're much better at balance and mm. you must have been very good at all that because most kids fall out, out eventually and break something. And the other thing is extraordinary is that uh, your mother would allow her to do that because these days everybody's suffocators, aren't they? They're allowed to climb trees. Yeah, I feel like my generation was just at the cusp of still being allowed to run around outside and mm. play a little mm. more than being stuck to an iPad. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's unusual. Mm. It's unusual. I mean, you think, I mean, I've seen situations where there's a kid next tree and people are going, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's going <laughs> to fall. It's just extraordinary. <laughs> And we're talking about six feet <laughs> above ground. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Pretty boring childhood, apart from the trips. <laughs> and you said North Queensland. Where'd you go, North Queensland? Uh, a lot of trips around the Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. What do you mean around the Great Barrier Reef? So a lot to Hamilton Island, mm-hmm. um, around Cairns. I obviously spent a long time 
with my dad who's on the Gold Coast, so mm. spent a lot of time there. Mm. Which Gold Coast? Mermaid Beach, Palm Beach, oh. Surface? No, Inland. Inland. That's mm. not the Gold Coast. Oh. <laughs> Could you see the surf? No. <laughs> uh, Mudgeri, Mudger, is it Mudgeri Bar or something? Mudgeri Bar, yeah. yeah, actually really close to there. Yeah. Mm. That's such a boring place. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to the bird sanctuary at Carumban? Yeah. What yep. you, how old were you then? Oh, I would have been pretty young. Um, oh, eight, mm. probably. Mm. And I remember that there were the koala little sanctuary there as well, I think. That's right, yeah. 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 What do you think of all these birds descending on you? Did you have a little little paper cup with the seeds? I remember it was a little. We used to do this in the fifties. You'd go out there and you have a little paper cup with seeds. Did you have all that? And they came round and come down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite exciting for a little person, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Until they peck your eye out. Yeah, it's kind of intimidating. These it is. beaks coming and flying at you. Right. Oh, this is idyllic. This is this is a wonderful childhood. Now, then, obviously, you moved on to high school or secondary college mm-hmm. or something like that. Where did you do that? Camwell Girls. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's so, okay. so was your dad having a, an influence on in where you went to school? Uh, was it shared parenting, was it? or? Yeah. Yeah. He always had the influence of, like, the school that I would go to, um, but then the problems would arise because dad wouldn't want to pay for school fees anymore. So, Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. He wanted you to have the best private education money could buy, but then he wouldn't pay the fees. Well, apparently, yeah. <laughs> is this is what your mum told you. Yeah, so you never know with, like yeah. I was saying, parent politics. No, you don't know, do you? <laughs> so what, you, so Campbell Girls High, and then where did they drop you off when the fees weren't paid? Uh, fees weren't paid. Then I stayed at Camwell, but it was just a bit of a rocky uh, journey, not knowing whether I would stay in the school or be pulled out. Well, but, this, this would have had a, a pretty severe impact on you, wouldn't you, as a young woman growing up? Mm, yeah, I guess it was pretty unstable. I mean, here are your formative years. So yeah. You would have been 12 or 13 when you entered high school yeah. and you've got all this stress. You don't know whether you're going to be this school or that school and you've got all this bickering going on. Yeah, definitely. Background. A lot of bickering, a lot of court stuff. And oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you must have been praying till you turned 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously you knew that when you turned 16 it was freedom. Mm. Yeah, I feel like 18 is really when... Freedom kind of starts when you finish school. Yeah, yeah, but legally sixteen. Yeah. So, what apart from you know <clears throat> trying to fit in? What, how did, what did you excel at, at secondary college? Um, in secondary college, I was really good at sport. Right, which type? I got into cross country running. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. ask me why now, but I was really oh, into it at the you're time. You're strong. You're young. <laughs> That's why, mm. yeah, of course. And, and, and you were, uh, you know, you were running up trees when you were younger. Obviously, you've <laughs> been practicing all your life cross country. Have you ever done orienteering? No. Um, it's it's a great sport, yeah. which goes with cross country. You know, you'd be you'd be a really good orienteer because you've got the brains, you've got the skills, you've got the speed. Yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah. Something to think of when you grow old. You mm. know, maybe when you turn forty and you're <laughs> retired. So, apart from sport, anything else? Um, not when Any I was Any subject school. kind of grab your fancy? Yeah, I was really into psychology. Psychology. Mm. Oh, should I be worried? Mm. <laughs> right, I could see that. That was a nod. I should be very, very worried. So why psychology? The human mind is pretty fascinating. 
and I was really interested in why people cope in particular ways and why people act in different ways to others. So were you actually analysing your own situation? Were you using psychology to do that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, no. I'd just turn the tables on you there. <laughs> now you're psychoanalyzing me. No, I'm not psychoanalyzing <laughs> you. I'm just asking you some piddly little question. <laughs> if I was psychoanalyzing you, you'd be crying. <laughs> All right. Now, going. Isn't that right, Andy? She would be. I mean, people cry on this program. Yeah. And you brought that. me pretty close to tears, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So you, gradu- you graduate from high school? Mm-hmm. And yep. um, were you happy with your marks? Oh, uh, yeah. I was. Yeah, I you did seem surprised. Well. What? You surprised you did well? <laughs> yeah, well, it was involved. Like it was during a time of a lot of partying and probably. Excuse me. <laughs> you were partying in high school and secondary college. I was. You were involved partying. <laughs> I thought that was only the sixties: sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You mean <laughs> it hasn't changed? No, I no? don't think it has. It hasn't changed. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Andy, is that correct? You're, you're kind of in the middle here. You're kind of, what, what are you, about 35? Ah, 31. 31, you know. You know. Yeah. You're the same We're age. Is this party. true? There's still drugs, sex, rock yeah, and roll. and Definitely. People are just bags of hormones at that age. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, so the world's your oyster. You're, what, 17, 16, mm-hmm. 17? What did you decide to do? I took a gap year. You took and- a gap year. Before going to university, I took a year off and I decided to travel. I wonder why. <laughs> now, obviously, somebody would be financing this travel. Myself. So, so how did you do that? I worked full time for four or five months mm-hmm. before going away. What type of work? Bar work. Bar work. What did you think of that? I loved it at the time. <laughs> oh, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. What did you like about it? Um... Just interacting with the locals and just yeah. really different people that I wasn't exposed to. Yep. yep. It, is, it is that. That bar work does do that. It exposes you to a lot of different situations and people you'd never meet in real life. Yeah, it? yeah. And what was the saddest thing you saw in bar work? It was attached to a pokey's place. Mm-hmm. And so the saddest thing were people coming in on Centrelink paydays and just throwing all their money these stupid Machine. little machines. Mm. Coming away. Yep. It's still going on. Hasn't changed. It's terrible. You can lose $120 every six minutes oh. on a Victorian poker machine. Did you know that? No. I'm I didn't. an expert, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can. You yeah. can. I mean, this whole business about the $1 bet limit is to reduce um, losses to about $100, $120 an hour. I mean, you can lose over $1,500. You know, doing maximum bets because you, you can, it's just extraordinary. You're quite right. It's horrible. And apparently, majority of the money that comes from poker machines are actually from people who are addicted. That's right. So, why That's it right. still exists, I don't really know. So, obviously, you'd have a regular clientele. You'd see people go in, yeah. come out, yeah. go home, yeah. start again. Yeah. So, would you recommend bar work to somebody starting off? Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. I would. I really think that I grew a lot from it. Mm. Do you think it, did you, did you ever have any doubts about your safety or? <laughs> yeah, I had a few really scary experiences. Oh, you want to just, just recount one, just out of One? Yeah. Um, a guy who was on ice mm-hmm. became really aggressive towards me and threw a glass at me and I had to run away from him. Mm. Um, yeah, he 
thought that I was teasing him about something and mm. just kind of mm. burst. But, and what did the what did the uh, employers think about all this? Just they said laugh it off, or no, we called the police and mm. everyone took it really seriously. Right. So, they, so you were quite happy with your pay rates, the way you were treated. Yeah. What? Yeah. All right, you got a little cachet of cash. <laughs> Where do we head off? Uh, Southeast Asia. So started in Vietnam. Uh-huh. And what I part of Vietnam? Started in the north, mm-hmm. in Hanoi. Yep. And I was supposed to end in Thailand, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite get there. Uh, because it's quite a long story. Oh, I'll... tell us. Well, you've got an hour. Tell us, <laughs> if you want to tell us the long story, but you can leave okay. out the gory bits. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I got food poisoning about five weeks in Why, to in, my trip. In North Vietnam. In South Vietnam. South Vietnam, right. Um, and that food poisoning became pretty serious. Mm-hmm. And from there I had to get an emergency aeroplane over to Bangkok Hospital right. where I had to get a... Emergency operation. Um, emergency operation. Yeah. Can I ask where? In Bangkok. No, no, but where? Bumrun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you the hospital. Uh, in, like, my intestines. Why? So I had intersusception, which ah, is. That, you, you want to tell people, exp- you want me to explain that or do you want to explain Oh, you're that? a doctor, aren't you? No, no, no. It's a, that's a rumour. Oh. It, <laughs> All it means is the bowel kind of slides on itself and then you get gangrene. So you actually didn't actually have food poisoning, did you, initially? You had this problem. No, the food poisoning the created problem. The, problem. the problem, right? which resulted in my intestines bursting yep. and then the slowly my well, organs lucky. started to poison themselves. Well, lucky they burst in Bangkok and not where you were. Well, they, they burst where I was and then... Where, where was that? At the time, I was in Vang Vieng in Cambodia. Oh, no wonder they lifted you out. Mm. Right. And uh, how long did you stay in hospital? It was about a month. Did you have a little temporary bag? Yes. And what did you think about that? It was pretty scary because during the recovery period, I didn't know if I would need to have that little bag with me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of a wake-up call, I think, mm. for me. So obviously you had insurance. Yeah. Would you recommend everybody get insurance when they go overseas? Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise you would have died. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have been there lifted out. By the time the Australian Embassy did something, it would be too late. Definitely. People forget that. You would have just died. We wouldn't have had this interview. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. What was a month in a Bangkok? Well, it would have been a pretty upmarket Bangkok hospital if the... uh, uh, you know, the insurance company was paying. Oh, yeah, it was really flash. Mm. All the sheiks from Dubai would fly over to that particular hospital to get mm. all their operations. Mm. Any marriage proposals? Third, fourth wife? Hmm, no. No. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe because you had all these drips and things and you looked like you were dying. Probably. <laughs> yeah, I assume you lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. really thin. What's it like looking at your bones? When you're really thin and really sick and you're kind of stuck in bed and you've got a bag hanging off, what what are the things going through your mind? Yeah, it's interesting, hey, because everyone around me were really worried about me and worried if I was going to make it. But when I was in it, and I guess because I had so much morphine pumping through my body, I wasn't really aware of that. I was just really tired all the time. And it wasn't until afterwards that, in retrospect, I could look back and realise what I went through. And did any family turn up? 
yeah, my dad and my mum. Right, right. And did they uh, fly you back once uh, you were discharged? Yes, eventually. What, what do you mean eventually? <laughs> well, it so happened to be that when I was there, a coup had started. Ah, <laughs> well, it's always a coup in Thailand. You know, I mean, that's normal. <laughs> well, they closed the airports, did they? Yeah. Ah, right. <laughs> Uh, you bring disaster on. I don't, I don't think. I don't think I'd like to travel with you, security guard. Just be careful of this woman. I mean, <laughs> you know, disaster follows her everywhere. All right. So you finally got back to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very weak. Yeah, for probably three or four months, mm-hmm. I was pretty tired and weak. Mm-hmm. And did after all this, did you go back to university, or did you change your mind? I did. I finished university. What did you do? Studied philosophy and psychology. Two useless subjects. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, what university was it? Deakin, Deakin for most of it, and I studied abroad for part of it as well. Abroad? Mm-hmm. You didn't have enough? You weren't frightened? No. So where did you study abroad? I studied in the Netherlands. Oh, I can understand that. <laughs> did you take out insurance? I definitely did. Did they give it to you? Yeah. Or did they ask they asked a lot of questions? Because you would have cost them at least... 300 grand, mm. at, at least. Exactly 300 grand, actually. How's well that? done. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I know about these things. All right, so you've got a psychology degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is it a psycho- psychology major or a um, psychology major, yes. right? Um, you're what, 20, 22? 22 when I finished. Right, you finished. The world's your oyster. Yeah. What happens? I moved to Canada. Canada. Yep. Canada. <laughs> why Canada? Um, why not? Just no, there must be a reason. Was it love? No. Lust? No. No, it wasn't. Um I had friends that I'd met while I was studying in Netherlands, the yeah. Netherlands who were from Quebec mm-hmm. in Canada and I really just wanted to keep exploring so I thought that was a good place to start. So you went to Quebec. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not Canada, is it, really? Yeah. Well, did you think it was Canada when you went to Quebec? No, no, you're right. It was yeah. Quebec. Well, what's Quebec like? Uh, interesting, really interesting because of the two different cultures that are there, uh, the French influence and the English influence. And yeah, really socially aware compared to the rest of Canada, I felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because of the constant uh, tensions and clashes or...? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think because of because they speak French as well, there's a lot more migrants that come there from all around the world. So that creates a real melting pot and just a really interesting place to be. Mm. Look, it's 4.28. Uh, young Andy is pushing the buttons. The security guard is keeping an eye on Andy and myself. And we're interviewing a very interesting, very interesting Kia Dinner Steen, not Stein. Well okay. <laughs> I just said I said to myself, do not think of beer and you won't say Stein and you'll say Steen. <laughs> All right. Does religion play a part in your life? Not organised religion. Not organised. Uh, but I do feel like I am quite spiritual. Mm. When you were dying, when you were dying, um, yeah. um, did you... Did you Spirituality or play a part in your life? Or? No, it wasn't until later in life that I started to think of myself being connected mm-hmm. to the universe in other ways. Mm. 
grandiose thoughts. Mm. You are part of the universe. Mm. We all are. Yeah. I agree. We all are. We yeah. don't realise that, do we? We just think we're autonomous little beings making decisions and controlling our lives. You think being so sick, so young, had an impact on the way you thought about things? Without a doubt. I think it was a real wake-up call for me to get out of my own little bubble and start thinking about the, what it is to be a human on this planet. Right. So where did, where did your life in Quebec take you? Uh, I travelled extensi- extensively throughout North America mm-hmm. and I uh, spent some time on sustainable communities. I went to a festival called Burning Man. No, not the Burning Man Festival. <laughs> Everybody goes. Let's, let's go back to the sustainable <laughs> community. Everybody goes to the Burning Man Festival. I'm sure even Andy's gone, I think. All right. You haven't? No. You want to go, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to go. It's for young people. All right. Going back, what's a, what's a sustainable community? Tell us about one of the ones you were in. Sure. Um... I went to a particular one in north of Montreal uh, where it was just a small group of people who were there with the intention to live off the grid and to grow their own food and have chickens and cattle. I've got chickens. I haven't got cattle, but I've got chickens. So do I. That's nice. (laughs) What suburb do you live in? Footscray. You can have chickens in Footscray, but you can't have roosters. No. No, No. Neighbours get upset. They don't mind the rats when you've got chickens, but the roosters, they don't like at 5am. Yeah. So, so what did you get out of this experience? Um, I guess just the realisation that you can live differently to how a lot of people are living today, like having an appreciation for self-sustainability. What, you mean we can't, we don't all need to go to the supermarket and buy things? We can actually... Grow it yourself. You're kidding. Yeah, believe it or not. Well, you couldn't survive on that, could you? <laughs> In an urban setting, could you? Yep. yep. Believe it or not, you can. Well, you look healthy, so yeah. maybe you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, just starting to think about where my food comes from played a big role in that. This was in Montreal? Yeah. Mm. So why did you leave that community? Your visa ran out or something? Uh, no, I, I left for love. and moved to California for a while, which was incredible. And What's incredible about California? uh, Community there as well. Like you think of America as just this really dogmatic... Mm, Gun culture. Yeah. It's not. It it is, but there's... It's not, yeah. Yeah. Many subcurrents. That's it. That's Mm. it. So what part of California? Northern California. Mm. Were you in a sustainable community or...? I was in one sustainable community there, yeah. Yeah. So why do you think there are so many people um, trying to establish sustainable communities? Um, I think because people are, first of all, realising that we're not happy living the way we're living in these isolated little bubbles. What's wrong with having a credit card debt (laughs) and a pokey addiction? (laughs) What's wrong with you, woman? You know, you think I want to get my hands dirty growing things? Oh, yeah. Well, mad. <laughs> That's what people think of you people. I think you're mad, don't they? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. All right. Um, but yeah, I just think that we can be so much happier when we're all living together and giving. Do you want me to bring out the violin? 
Or the Please. gum leaf, and I'll accompany you. <laughs> it sounds very idealistic. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, right. I think it's true. <laughs> you think it can happen? Mm. Yeah, I do. All right. So when did you come back to Australia? After Montreal and California, obviously. Mm. Love petered out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what, you came to Australia? Yeah, and then I came back. What year was that? 2014. What? You were away for all those years? Yeah. How did you sustain yourself? I worked over there. and What type of... Give us a few examples. Uh, I was doing work with young kids with behavioural problems. This came from your psychology degree? Yes. So did you, yes. Did you um, have a, a major in something? In the, in the... No, I just kind of got into the work while I was over there. Oh, and they, they said, oh, you got a psychology degree. Come and work with these very difficult kids. Yeah, pretty so, much. So, so what, type, what type of problems were you dealing with? Um, mostly behavioural problems based on uh, family issues at home and stuff like that, so kids who were playing up. So were, that, were, were they inpatients, outpatients? Were you... uh, they were kids in school who were just not behaving well. So what, you went to the school mm-hmm. and you, right. And was, I know you're saying they're not behaving well, but was there a common theme apart from family um, issues? Was there any other themes that ran through that type of work you were doing? Most of the kids that I worked with were low so, coming from low socioeconomic backgrounds mm-hmm. with parents that either had mental illness or drug addiction. Right. So you're not you're saying that not everybody. We, when we start on the uh, starting line of life, we don't all start on the same marker, do we? No. It's a little bit like having a handicap race, not an Olympic race life. I guess so. Yeah. Do you think you made a difference? Huh. I hope so. No, no, no. no. I'm not just in hope. You know what hope is? The love, child, desire, and expectation. <laughs> it's nothing. All right. Do you think you made a difference? Probably to one kid's life, I think I did. One? Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, obviously don't tell names, and, but, but why do you think you made a difference? Um, because he was really seen as the problem child in this school, and he was, I guess, but I was pretty much one-on-one with him for a long time. It was about a year, mm-hmm. and I think that attention and that like love that I was able to give to him, I think, did help him. Right. Well, that's good. That's good. And the other children you dealt with, do you think you made a difference? Uh, probably not. Mm. No. I, don't, I think it's well, pretty you, hard. they didn't get worse. No. So you have made a difference. Yeah. And this, this is what people think. People think that because this type of behaviour escalates as you get older, you know, and this is what fills the jails and dysfunction, you know, um, Violence and that, it's all part of that same little journey. And you do make a difference by early intervention. I yeah. believe you make a difference. Yeah. And because you, because you can't resolve the issues doesn't mean that you haven't stopped the issues from escalating. Out. That's very true. They're very yeah. small differences, but, you know, they kind of pile up. Mm. Mm. So you did very well. I'm, you should be very proud of your work because not many people do something which makes a difference. Mm. Thanks. No, they don't, do they? Probably not. No, no. So did you do that work anywhere else in North America? No, I didn't. Did you have any contact with uh, Indigenous North Americans? or? I did have a little bit of contact in 
uh, Canada, not much, just uh, passing through a few communities. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, there's not that much information about Indigenous and North Americans, just... Sounds like Australia, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. There's some similarities there. There's a lot of similarities. In yeah. A lot of, the only difference is they have treaties. Yeah, whether or not those treaties are beneficial, though, is arguable. What do you mean? It's not, it's not beneficial to have a treaty to land? Well, a lot of those treaties, though, in North America have mm. been either just revoked or ignored. Mm. Um, so. But some communities seem to hang their shit together because they've got access to resources, but uh, as you said, there's a lot of uh, issues there. Yeah. So you came back to Australia in 2014, broken, <laughs> tired, emotional, <laughs> or happy? Pretty hopeful. Hopeful. Mm. Again, that word hope. Mm. Hopeful about what? About life, um, about where I was going. You think you're going somewhere? Yeah. There's only one one journey. <laughs> it ends in death. Yeah, that's true. But... Tell us about your your spirituality. You know, you say you're not part of organised religion, but tell us about your spirituality. What I believe. Well, what you feel, what you believe. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just feel on like a molecular kind of level. Like I can kind of feel it in my body that I am connected to all living creatures. Um, in a not really tangible way, but mm-hmm. so you you feel that you're bigger than yourself. You're part of a. You think it's a plan, or do you think it's just is? I don't think it's a plan. I think it just exists like that. So you think every living thing is part of this complex interrelations on planet Earth? Yes, maybe not even just planet Earth. Oh, that's maybe. Interesting. We can expand past that. You think you can? Yeah. What makes you think that? Uh, Well, I definitely don't have any proof, but I guess it's just a feeling that I have. What? What's the feeling? A feeling of connectedness. Well, we are all carbon. We all start off as carbon, but do you think there's a connection in terms of life? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Life and death and I guess the circle of that. The continuation of mm. energy. Mm. You know what the White Cliffs of Dover are made up of? No. Billions of microorganisms who have died and over the years of just... It's just an extraordinary. People, when they look at oil, they think, oh, bad. All it is is decomposing dead organisms, live organisms. You know, that were alive hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years ago, and they're just sitting there in little... And we just suck it up. So you're right, there's there's a huge amount of life yeah. on the planet which we don't seem to understand. Yeah. I mean, uh, where would it be without shit? Well. <laughs> you, know, you know, I, I have resolved your problem. I have discovered the meaning of life. Really? Yes. Impressive. Yeah, well, obviously I've discovered, been a megalomaniac, obviously I've discovered <laughs> the meaning of life. It's a seven-letter word starting with C. Go on. And every living organism in the history of planet Earth has been part of this life-giving process. Hmm. Have a guess. As somebody's interested in sustainability, you should know what it is. 
It starts with C. It's a seven-letter word. It's got an M and ends with a T. I don't know. Compost. Oh, compost. We are all compost. Yeah. And it's our dead bodies, the dead body of every living organism, which nurtures the next generation. It's pretty cool to think about it like that. What well, is? Think about it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the history. Unless, unless you've got a belief that goes beyond that, that, you know, spirituality or a, or a religion or something, mm. what else are we? Just compost. compost. For the next generation. Yeah. You're depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry to depress you. So you come, you come to Melbourne in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, did mummy come to the airport? Um. Probably. I don't remember. You don't remember. If your mother came to the airport, you've been gallivanting out there for years. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So you come back to Melbourne and uh, where do you gravitate? Where do you live? I moved to Footscray. Footscray, not Fitzroy or no. Brunswick. No. You know, where, or Northcote where people think it's the centre of the known universe when mm. it isn't. You moved to Futsuskray. Futsuskray. Why did you move to Futsuskray oh, for? I love it there so much um, because there's difference there and people f- seem really accepting and I just love being around that. What do you mean there's difference? Uh, different cultures, different ideas. There's a really big activist scene mm-hmm. emerging there. There's a lot of decommodified spaces that are being used for right. really good things. All right, let's go to the big words, big words. We're simple Sorry. people. <laughs> Tell us what a decommodified space is. It's a space that is, say, like uh, an abandoned building mm-hmm. or something like that that is not supposed to be used, uh, but maybe we'll have a fundraiser there or a party there. Right, right. That's right. That's doesn't make a buck for somebody. It's that's a space it. that doesn't make a buck. So that's simple. We use big words. People don't understand what we're saying. And you reckon this is a growing uh, scene in Footscray? Yeah. Yeah. Every weekend there'll be different things going on in different abandoned buildings or different spaces. Hopefully they're all legal. Oh, sure. Good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before you know it, you'll be um, raided by the anti-terrorist squad. You keep this up. Hmm. You realise that there's a wide definition of terrorism and... Trashing abandoned spaces, but you don't trash spaces, do you? No, we probably leave them uh, better than when we arrived. So, why do you think there are so many abandoned spaces with this when there's so much homelessness in Footscray? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Well, I guess people can't make money off housing somebody that don't, who don't have a job. So, mm. it's all about money in the end, isn't it? Yeah. So, are these warehouses or just basically they're not? Private homes have been abandoned? No, they're warehouses. Warehouses. Okay. Do you ever, ever have any difficulties? People complain? S- set the cops onto you? Um, well, we have festivals in our home and we had a few council issues with that. Uh, but we managed to get around it and generally speaking, it's been pretty good. A festival in your home? Yes. A festival in a three-bedroom home? Well, it's like an eight-bedroom home, but yeah. That's a big home. A festival? Yeah. When did this happen? Uh, we have them quite frequently, a few times a year. A few times a year. Festival. Yeah. The mind boggles. What happens? Uh, we have bands play. We have workshops and people speaking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we cook food. And 
have mm. fundraisers for particular things. I hope you invite the neighbours. We do. Oh, it's the only way around that. I see. <laughs> You've got to understand that. You've got to invite the neighbours. Yeah, and you will have no trouble. You don't invite the neighbours, you've got problems. Mm. So do you think this is some type of radical activity, do you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Why? I just feel it, especially. Well, I, I, I feel cold. This means radical activity. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I hope it's not my just my little bubble, but I do feel like I'm being... Everywhere I go, I see different fundraisers, different people talking about wanting different changes. I just feel like people are talking about wanting a better world, better well, stuff. Some. Mm. Some people are. Not everybody, but you're right, some are. But most people don't know in which direction. Mm. They kind of throw rocks at the TV or lose themselves <laughs> on the porno sites on the net. So, um, yeah. So you think, again, you're making a difference? Yeah, I do. Right. Yeah. Sounds interesting. I wonder if anybody else thinks that. We'll find out anyway. <laughs> All right. So uh, have you got involved in any other activities since you've come back to Melbourne in 2014? Yeah, I'm pretty involved with a bunch of different forms of activism mm. now. Any you want to talk about publicly on the radio? Yeah, totally. Um, I've been involved with the West Papuan office. Right. How long have you been involved with them? Uh, probably about six months now. Um, what uh, drew you to that? Uh, well, I only heard about what was happening in West Papua about a year ago um, and just hearing about it. And well, it's our nearest neighbour. Exactly. And knowing that Australia is very consciously involved with it as well um, kind of outraged me. Well, there are 500,000 bodies since 1960 and it's 200 kilometres from those wonderful trips you took to Darwin. So, and when you were there, you never thought of it, did you? No, not at all. It's not like the Uluru. Mm. People don't, they don't even realise, most people don't even realise West Papua exists. So when you went to the office initially, what, did you ring up or did you just turn up? A friend of mine uh, told me about it and mm. I went to a fundraiser about... Uh, what was happening in West Papua, and mm-hmm. so I got involved through them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you find the office? Hectic. Hectic. <laughs> a lot of fun. Well, it's good that it's hectic, isn't it? Because if you've got an office, you've got to use it. Mm. So how is it hectic? There's a lot of projects happening at the one time in this one little space, and the Papuans are just filled with life and colour, and there's just so much going on mm-hmm. in a tiny little square space. Give some examples. All the time. Somebody will be knitting on one table while somebody's on the computer organising a different thing and someone else is organising an open day. Right. So it is an office that is active. It's not just a a kind of a shop front. No, it is an active office, uh, but it is also used as, as kind of a community space for people to come. Yes. And interact and mm. learn about what West Papua. Mm. And what have you learned about West Papua? Um, a lot. I've learnt about the ongoing genocide um, that's been happening to the people there since 1963. Um, I've learnt how connected they are to Indigenous Australians. And I've learnt about how wonderful the music is from that country. It's quite extraordinary. Extraordinary music. So how many of the do's have you been at the West Papuan office, the um, rent-collected do's? 
open days? You've been to a few of them? I've been to one open day. That was the last one, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. And what do you actually do, um, apart from sit around and chat? <laughs> we organise different events. Right. <clears throat> we, at the moment, are organising the Sampari exhibition. Right, what's that? That is an art, music, poetry, history kind of exhibition that's happening in early December. Right. Um, just to bring awareness to what's happening what in the What does Sampari mean, do you know? I don't know. You should ask. I should. Because I don't know either. Mm. We're bad people. We are. We should have learnt. Here, <laughs> you are. Here you are, pushy in exhibition. You don't even know what it, what it means. It could, oh. be, could be up your nose with a rubber hose for all you know. <laughs> you don't know what it is. Yeah, it could be. So you're organising that. Have you got a space for it yet? Or We do in Fitzroy on Brunswick Street. Right, so it's part of the Australian Catholic University space, the gallery space there. Yes, it is. Well, we had the uh, Christmas um, do for the West Papua Rent Collective Open Day in December last year. Yeah, so it's going to be part of that Christmas do as well. Well, They're going to incorporate both again. Oh, that's good. And what other things do you do with the office? With the office, we organise different protests and different actions. Excuse me, protests and (laughs) actions? (sighs) We've all got, above board. Well, oh no, I know they're all above board, but you know, I don't know if I want to interview that type of person who's involved in protests and actions. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what do you reckon, Andy? Do we usually talk to famous musicians and people are all about themselves, not it's, about other people. It's much more interesting, do you think? Oh, this is much more interesting than, you know, talking about people's, you know... Music. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, music. Oh. There's a space for music. Oh, Cromwell was right. Long live the Taliban. Oh. Uh, their policy towards music. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll talk about the do that's coming up on Sunday in a few minutes, but are there any other activities you're involved in? Uh, inside West Papua? Or no, other, other, other things, you know. Yeah, I'm pretty involved at the moment with um, going to make visits to the two detention centres that are in Melbourne mm-hmm. and supporting asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Do you do that as individual there? or through an organisation? Uh, we're just a group of friends who right. go and visit them. Right. And what, what, what are those visits like? Amazing. Why? Uh, well, the people who are locked up, who have been locked up for a long time, are just such hopeful, beautiful people. Well, that's the word, isn't it? Hopeful. Again, and yeah. After what, no, after what people have been through, they're still hopeful that their lives will change. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. I, I would have been bitter. By, by then, and but obviously they're much better people than I'll ever be. <laughs> so no, hopeful. It, it's that's a good that's a good a good word to use in that particular situation, which you really haven't got much to hope for, have you? Well, yeah, it must be. I, I just can't imagine what it would be like for them hmm. in there. And so I guess I go in at least from my perspective to say that I believe that what the government is doing is wrong and. A lot of people on the outside just believe that you should not be jailed for seeking asylum. Mm, mm, mm. But most Australians don't think like that, do they? I just don't think that people are educated. You think it's just education? I do. Or do think it's a gut fear of being overrun? Yeah, but I think fear has got to do with not actually knowing the truth. You think so? Yeah. Sometimes when you know the truth, you're fearful. Somebody tells you you've got cancer, you know the truth, you're fearful. Dying. That's true. And look, I, I think there are political movements that 
thrive on uh, denigrating the other in our community, you know, especially those who are marginalised. And but that that's a different story. That's the different story. So now I'm going to ask a terrible question. Go for it. What do you do to earn a living? <laughs> That's not a terrible question. Well, maybe you didn't do anything. That's why I asked. <laughs> no, I work for an organisation called the Lighthouse Foundation. The Lighthouse Foundation. Yeah, they're really cool. Uh, is that the same Lighthouse Foundation as in Keysborough or is that a Pentecostalist Christian fundamentalist church that I go past occasionally? No, yeah, I think that might be something different. <laughs> yeah, because they're called the Lighthouse. I think they're just called the Lighthouse. Uh-huh. And they actually got a lighthouse and a Christian fundamentalist school out there near Keysborough, near all the other private colleges. Uh, mm, Springvale, right? Okay. But this is the light. So, what is the Lighthouse Foundation? Uh, so we're an organisation that has set up a bunch of homes who, for youth who were at risk or maybe didn't have a place to live, mm-hmm. and then they come and live in these homes, and it's kind of like a place for them to get their life. Kickstarted. Mm. Is, is this government granted or? It's not actually. It's a private. Uh, yes, it's private. And do you provide um, care on 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 site? Yeah, so I live in the homes. You live in the homes. Yeah. So, so this is part of you live in the homes. Yeah. It's so how many hours a week would you be doing this for? It's pretty casual and really sporadic. So right. I might be there for a week and then I won't be there for a bunch of weeks. And, mm. and the children or young people. You, you meet there, they've got the same issues that those you met in in California? Yes. Same? Yes. Well, you'd be in a very good position to emphasise, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So every experience is good, whether it's good or bad, if, if you use it. If you use it. If you use it, and you have, which is, which is excellent. So tell us about this open day. Mm. So we've got an open day at the West Papuan office, mm. um, which is at 838 Collins Street in Docklands. It's at 1 till 3 this Sunday. It's going to be really fun. Um, we will have lunch and we'll be launching a book, uh, which should be really exciting, by Annette Cully. I haven't read it yet because it's just come out, but it's about all the laws that the UN have broken to enable the occupation of West Papua. Yeah, that's good. Now, I'm looking at the balance sheet for the West Papua Rent Collective, and I'm a little bit disgusted as I'm the convener of the West Papua Rent Collective, and we need new members desperately. We need at least 10 members in the next four weeks. And to be a member of the West Papua Rent Collective, it's a dollar a day, $30 a month, $365 a year. And this is a perennial problem we have because it's the West Papua Rent Collective which pays the rent on the office, which allows the West Papuan people to organise their uh, resistance to colonisation. And the whole purpose of having the office there was to uh, give people that possibility. So if you'd like to become a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, come along on Sunday. Mm, Try before you buy. Have a look. Talk to people. You'll be there, won't you? Yeah, I definitely will be. And we'll have a little badge. I can. I can organise that. And, and what are you going to have on the badge? Kia, my Kia, name. Kia. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be it. Not Dana Steen? Probably not. Maybe I'll put a little smiley face next yeah, to yeah. my name. Can you put a brackets RA? RA? Radical Australian. Sure. That way people will know who you are and I'll go, oh, Kia, I heard you <laughs> <laughs> on Thursday. So, no, but seriously, look, the West Papua Went Collective was an initiative which commenced about three years ago and it's all about 
giving the West Papuan activists, and especially the West Papuan people in this city and this country, the opportunity to organise their own resistance without having to worry about the rent. And if, uh, you know, it's the cost of two Chinese meals a month, a packet of cigarettes, 25 packet of cigarettes, about 30 bucks these days, two grotty pizzas, so you can do yourself a favour, put a dollar a day. It's easy, you can do it anonymously if you want to. So come along, 2pm? No, 1pm. 1pm for dinner. Lunch. Lunch. I see if you're up on your toes there. See? <laughs> see, this is really good. Look here, it's been a pleasure talking to you and having your security guard stare at me. I mean, I think it's love at first sight between him and me. And it may be that uh, you've lost a security guard. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. No, but Look, it's great that you're actually opened up to us and opened up to our listeners because radical activism comes from many different uh, directions and uh, you're living proof that uh, while there are young people like you around, and you are young in comparison to most of us, there is hope for the future. And I've used that horrible word, hope. Thank you very much, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody knows that the days are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody 